0: What we do at the Yarn Consolary is we like to say that we reweave the tapestry of your new life, and we focus on anything from crisis, chemical to bendancy, transitions, trauma, and essentially what we do is we co-create a plan for you to start anew. Welcome to Living My Breastless Life podcast. I'm your host,
1: HPG. On season three of the podcast... We're diving in to the helping profession. I have found that almost always there's a catalytic event that leads people to help others. You'll hear a variety of folks share what they do, why they do it, and the unique ways that they help. This season will mostly be guest interviews with some fascinating people and a few surprises for y'all along the way. So let's go. Go. on episode 44 of living my Breastless life we have dana from the yarn consolary dana helps folks reweave the tapestry of their new life by co-creating a plan to start anew and guide them on their path the Yarn Consolery helps folks by community building in groups, education, and collective care. We talk about how people seem to be braver online instead of with folks they see daily, pressing shame out of the darkness, and vulnerability hangovers. We covered more on this episode, and I loved my chat with Dana. I know you will too. So tell us what you do and what led you to this path of helping folks.
0: Well, I'm unique in the aspect that I consider myself a consoler. It's kind of a term that we came up with. In February of 22, after a a stint in sobriety, I decided to start uh, the Yarn Consolery. And what we do at the Yarn Consolery is we like to say that we reweave the tapestry of your new life. And we focus on anything from crisis, chemical to transitions, trauma. And essentially what we do is we co-create a plan for you to start anew. And after people go through different tragedies or life changes, they need somebody who's going to stand with them and Help kind of guide them down the path and kind of rebuild and start anew. So that's what we do at the Yarn Consolery. And essentially, we do community building. We do different groups. We do different types of, and I I say consoler because I'm not really a coach. Um, I'm not a therapist. I'm more of an educator. And we, help people by asking a lot of questions and allowing them to kind of come up with their own plan. So that's k- kind of in a nutshell what we do, a, a kind of a broad sweep.
1: I love that. Are your services in person when you said community building, lives or rebuild is that something that you do in
0: person? We do. But a majority of the services that we provide are over Zoom. Uh, I do a lot of work in Zoom as well as Google Meetups. Or we do a lot of the, I don't want to say coaching, because I'm not really providing them with what they need. They're kind of telling me what they need through the consoling and the question process. So we use WhatsApp, we use Telegram. uh, We have a lot of different sobriety databases and sobriety communities we're in a lot through meetup. So most of the clients that we work with are all over the world. So we do have some kind of, I'm based in Colorado, so we do have some one-on-one or group sessions here in Colorado with whether it be a sobriety group or mountain kids with people that are coming new to the state. Uh, But I think After the COVID pandemic, a lot of people really are working over line. And I was in a group the other night and we had a gal from New Zealand, a gal from Canberra, Australia, and a gal from Canada and a girl from North Carolina. So I said, I really do have a lot of friends. They're just all over the world. So I
1: love that. I love meeting people all over the world and it helps reinforce to me that our struggles are universal.
0: And often one of the main points of being a consoler in the yarn consolery is really that collective care piece. And we talk a lot about self-care, especially in sobriety or being a mom or starting a business as an entrepreneur. We say, oh, self-care, self-care. But I think for us, what we really focus is on that collective care. And if you don't have a community around you to kind of lift you up, and I do a lot of work with the Ola Sober community, and she says not a lot of people have our thing. And that thing is sobriety. And it's nice to find people that are like you, because sometimes the people in your real life don't know your own struggles. So that kind of, it's almost, you're able to have more of a brave space when it's somebody who isn't in your your actual real life. Makes it a little easier if it's someone across the pond.
1: I totally agree. I think community, whether it's in person or online, is how I have dealt with being a brand new mom, quitting drinking, battling cancer. And the most support that I have received are people or from people that I mostly have not ever met in real life.
0: And I wonder why that is. Do we feel and I hate to say safe because I, I never want to promise somebody I can give them a safe space because I don't know what they've been through or what kind of trauma they've lived through. But I wonder if we're braver with people that aren't in the aren't in the room with us because we think I may never see them at the grocery store. They're not in my community, or I work with some people who are in small towns and they say the last thing I can do is tell anybody that I have these issues um because i'll see the reverend at the store or so do you think it's because it, they are so far away that it makes it a little easier heather or i think
1: that that's part of it and i think that shame dies in safe places meaning you're not running into the reverend at the store and the party is so neutral that you can share without being protective of your loved one, or your really good
0: friend. And maybe it's that kind of the concept that we're able to share bits and pieces. And maybe they don't know all the stuff that happened before. And like you said, that shame isn't there. The judgment isn't there. And I, and I think in some of the rooms I've been in, they know more about me than my husband knows a lot because we've been together almost 20 years. And my, my, Daughter's ten. She knows a lot. I think probably too much. But I think maybe people like in the in my extended family don't know a lot of the things and may judge or think of me differently. Or we don't. We we, we sweep the secrets under the rug sometimes in in families of old. So yeah, I, I agree with you. The shame piece, and we always say a problem shared is a problem halved, and. So to really to share that, kind of press the shame out of the darkness is easier when it's someone who doesn't know your dirt, so to speak.
1: Definitely. And I think if it's someone that you don't know, at first, telling your story can be so intimidating. And I don't even think it, really.
0: Yeah. And what do they call it? The vulnerability hangover. Right. The minute you share, you go, Oh my gosh, I don't even know if I've told my psychiatrist this story. I remember one of my friends, she's up in Canada. She said, the first Zoom meeting she had, and this is with the I Am Sober app, IAS, and she said, everybody was saying, I love you. I'll see you soon. We'll talk soon. And she said, That is the weirdest thing. Why does everybody say I love you? And why are they calling me sister? And it said, Well, that's we're bonded in the in the sobriety community. Once you tell a story, we say thank you. Will we see you again? Please come back tomorrow. And there is no shame in sharing and and being authentic when you're in a group that you all have that same, same similar issue, so to speak. I totally agree.
1: And you can measure what you're going to share at first. I remember my first community meeting, I felt like a raccoon in the garage where somebody had turned on the light like the first time I shared. I'm not shy. But when it comes to those, stories, I felt incredibly vulnerable and like I chose to share and I still felt like, ah. So I think that the the starting of the conversation and the more you hear yourself talk, the more you put those thoughts together and you have your own aha moments. And you do realize that there are a lot of Commonality is in your own unique story, and you feel safer to share
0: more. I, I remember the first time I went on. It was November sixth of twenty twenty-two. I think it was. And I'm I'm extroverted as it comes. I was sweating. I was shaking. And what do they say? Use your voice, even if it shakes. I was sweating and. I was, I think I was in a manic episode. I was I was crying. I was weeping. I was yelling. And and I said, Oh my God, I I'm, I'm so embarrassed. And they said, Thanks so much. Will we see you next week? Great share. And I was just blown away. At that point, I started to to realize, hey, I've tried to do this before. What's the missing link? And that was that connection. Showing up and going to a meeting. And whether that's a sobriety meeting, whether that's um, I'm in a NICU support group because my my latest baby was in the NICU for two weeks, whether it's a any kind of activity group, puzzling group, or it's just, and, and I think too, sharing is awesome, but also kind of having that sacred pause and listening to stories and saying, wow, I am not alone. Other people have these same trials and tribulations. Well, and I'm, I'm not, I, as I say, sacred pause, I start talking again, right? And I'm a person who will talk to kind of to fill the space. I have that's I learned that in my family kind of growing up. I had a friend say, I said, I don't want to go to a meeting today. I'm, I'm feeling off and I don't want to present. And she said, Dana, you don't have to speak the whole time. You can stop and listen. And that might be helpful just for you to hold the space for somebody who wants to talk. Yeah, what a concept.
1: That's really powerful. What led you to the yarn consolery? Oh, gosh.
0: I started with, I had two DUIs back in the early 2000s. My gosh, I'm aging myself now. And I've been, I'm at 47 now. I've been going at it for, since I was about 15. I've been working at sobriety for, gosh, what, 20 some years. Um, And after a couple of near-death experiences, I decided it was time I white knuckled for about three months and just not picking up, avoiding, avoiding people, places and things that might encourage me to drink or use drugs. I found the I Am Sober app and through there, I found the community and they do kind of just like Zooms for people, just unaffiliated with the app, but they get people together. And there I found the Sobertown podcast. I met up with some folks there. I started doing some interviews there, interviewing people. And through that, I found Rewired by Erica Spiegelman. And that was when I I got to the point where I was realizing that this is my place. These are my people. I need to give back. So I started facilitating groups for the Rewired program, Erica's program. And that's when I said, I really like this. This really fills my cup. I've always been a speaker. I've always liked being around people. But there's just something about giving someone space to speak their truth, giving someone space to just let it all out, just as people did for me. That's when I said, I, I, I want to do something that is an act of service, but also fills my cup. And that's kind of how the consolary came about. And people say, "Well, you're really you're more of a consoler. You're not a therapist. You're not really a coach. you're kind of an educator. But you take kind of more of a backseat approach. and you don't have a a program that they have to. Implement immediately. So that's when I decided to open up the yarn consolery. And yarn was more of spinning a yarn, a tail, reweaving the tapestry, finding a common thread. For a while there, people were saying, Is this a crochet program? And do we do embroidery? And (laughs) I kind of had to, I was thinking, I wonder if I need to do a rebrand. But I like the idea of all of us kind of having an invisible thread. We're all, we're all woven together despite our differences. Sometimes we have a tapestry that's given to us by our family, by our academic system, by our community. And pulling on that one thread, it can pull everything away, kind of reweaving your own. So that that was kind of where we went with that. And working a lot with crocheting and, and art and projects like that is one of the only ways that both sides of your brain communicate at the same time. That's a lot of what we draw on kind of getting out of the brain and in connecting with the body. So kind of that heart head connection and allowing, just like as we have a great conversation here, we're connecting, we're weaving together and we have, we're not in the same place, but we have so many similarities of that, that alike thread. So that's how that came about. And I'm still really kind of playing with it, but I, i I really like the idea of all of us, that kind of ball of yarn, right? It's just kind of messy ball of yarn, but we can take it and make beautiful things together.
1: I love that so much. I love the concept and the wording that you just used. That is very true and empowering in that we can reweave, rebuild, and we can fall apart and come together may look different, but we can embrace our uniqueness that way. I love that so much.
0: And I I love the idea that I'm I'm not a a great crocheter. I can, I can, I'm okay at embroidery. My mom's, she's old school. She can do cross stitch and do, that's what they did back in the day. But what we love to do is we love to kind of, as we co-create a plan, we say, what does Heather like to do? And you say, oh, I like to, I used to love to make, do plays when I was young, or I love to do this with my daughter. I love to do this. What we do is we kind of reawaken what your body loves and what your body yearns for, kind of bring that back up in you to reweave your life to teach someone else. So you love to do podcasting. We'd find somebody who is new and up and coming, and Heather would teach them how to do a podcast. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So whatever your skill set is, and I think that's why I call myself a consoler because I don't really, when I console with someone or console someone, I don't really know where I'm going with it. And I said to my husband, I said, my niche is I have no niche. And he's like, that's not how it works. Like you have to have one. I said, I really don't. That's kind of finding, that's where the questions come in. That's where the consoling comes in. That's where we work with somatics or we work spiritually with, tarot cards or your astrological chart or whichever. If it's someone who's real type A, we can do research. We can do books. We can listen to Heather's podcast. Go to Heather's website. If you want coach who really is going to give you the X to X to A and A to X and throw a Z in there too, that's where I'm kind of at. I give you the resources and education that you need to reweave. So I want to ask you
1: one thing about the sides of your, like when you're crocheting and the sides of your brain that work together. Do you mean left
0: hemisphere, right hemisphere? Yeah. There's only a couple things that, because typically if you do art, that kicks off one side. If you read books, it kicks off the other. Crocheting is one. Kayaking is another. Rock climbing is one. There's There's a very, f- only a few things that can get the two sides of your brains kind of corresponding. And a lot of that is, and it, it comes from ancient times where most Americans work in their brains. Other cultures work in their hearts or their in their chakras, right? In the instinctual parts of their body. I think that's what only, not only with the collective care or the connection and community, that's a lot of what people need to do. Kind of get out of the brain. That's where our our addict voice lies, right? Or that's where you've got the victim brain or the victim voice and the judging voice, right? You've got the victim who says, "Oh my gosh, I've been through all these traumas." I'm, oh my god, poor me. You've got the judge,r "Oh, what, you're horrible. You're this. You're that." When you kind of drop into the body, and or you do that by connecting both sides of the brain. That's where. By connecting both sides of the brain, you can kind of drop into the body and see what you need. So that's a lot of where somatics comes in. And I think we're intellectual people. We can research ourselves down to the, what do they call it? Analysis paralysis, right? And especially in early sobriety or being a mom or any kind of treatment we go through, right? We are going to be online with Dr. Google, reading all the books, listening to the podcasts. It's not saying, hey, what does Heather need? It's not really dropping in and saying, what, what are you looking for? So it's a kind of a combination of spirituality, um, somatics. There's so much, and it's, I, I, it's always hard to kind of describe what I do because it's so many moving parts. That's what, so a lot of people don't really know how to get out of their brain and drop into the body. And, and especially if we've been disassociating, if we've been in trauma, where we have fight or fight, flight. Fawn. So it's kind of a combination of coordinating both sides of the brain, getting those to allow you to drop into the body.
1: That's really got me thinking. And in the life coach training program that I've been in for a long time, we talk about left brain is where your anxiety can live. And I'm trying to learn to get more into right brain activities so that I can tap in and use the body as a compass. Because it's harder for some people and it's not something that we're taught as Americans to trust.
0: And I think, I, and I, I can't even imagine saying that if you would have asked me five years ago, meditation has probably helped me get sober. Coming back to my spirituality has helped me get sober. And a lot of that is getting out of the brain because my brain is just screaming for whatever instant gratification I can get. Shut my brain up. What are we going to do to do that? And like you said, with being American and productivity and the constant go go go, um, it's hard to get out of the brain. And and my brain can be my worst enemy. And I used to think it was my greatest attribute with my degrees on the wall and all my credentials. And now I'm—I don't know if that's helped. (laughs) It's helped me as much as hindered me. Whereas now, kind of going in and into my heart, my body, and saying, "Oh." For a long time, my stomach was shut off, um, and that was from some trauma that I went through when I was younger. Only till I got sober, I said, "Oh my gosh, I've got I've got butterflies." Oh my god, what is that feeling down there? And uh, one of my friends is like, "That's your chakra." Well, he's like, "You turned your chakra off, and the solar chakra and the sacral. You turned those off." And I said, "Wow, I love the idea of getting out of the brain completely." Because that's that's where things get sticky for people. And especially when you're brilliant like us, right? <laughs> I think that
1: folks who struggle with substance use are some of the most creative and intelligent people that I've ever met. And I say that from a professional and personal observation of 20 years.
0: Yeah, I'm, and and brilliant. I, and I 100% over and over, I agree with you there. I have never met... Someone, and and it's almost like we, and maybe, I don't know if you agree on this, but it's almost that we use substances to shut down our brilliance because it's so scary and because we feel, and if you're connected to the divine and you have these, these gifts, and it's almost that we shut it down because we're afraid of it. And because society has said, hey, you, let's not work that way. Let's not work connected in the body and to spirit and to all these different things. Stay in the brain because if we keep you in your brain, then we can make you produce, make you hate yourself, make you, and this is how we kind of keep that capitalism going. Not to to jump on a soapbox for you here today, but I feel like that's one of those things that if we can keep you in the brain, we've kind of got you in our pocket." You know, if you start trusting yourself and saying, hey, Heather knows what's right for her, not big pharma, big, big alcohol, not the man, but what what happens to our society, right? We can't market you any products.
1: Yeah, that's a really great perspective. I would love to talk to you more about that.
0: I know. Well, we'll have to talk conspiracy theories another day.
1: <laughs> oh, it's one of my favorite topics. And my spouse doesn't indulge. So. I love the groups that you've created and the concept. And I love the name. I don't know about, from my perspective, I think you should keep it the way it is. And I love the words that you said to describe. Is there anything else
0: that you would like for the listeners to know? You're never too old to start anew, to become anew. There's always another option or alternative or place to find connection. And sometimes it's hard to kind of go on go out on your own to to find groups, to find resources or sometimes people don't even know you're drinking. I know a lot of people that are hiding their use or hiding their mental health issues or hiding their different addictions. And just to know that they're there's always someone out there who will listen and can help you and to not give up on yourself. And no matter how old you are, how much trauma you've been through, you can become anew. And one of my friends, she does birth story. She's a, a IBCLC, an international lactation consultant or a certified lactation consultant. And she does a program called Birth Story And talks about trauma that you have in the birth story, but she talks a lot about how the caterpillar, right? We have the caterpillar and the caterpillar, we know a lot about the caterpillar, how much it eats, what it does. They talk about the butterfly, but they never really talk about that part in the middle of the chrysalis. And the caterpillar actually, when he's in the chrysalis or she's in the chrysalis, they actually digest themselves, and they become goo, they actually have to decompose themselves inside the chrysalis to become this butterfly. And scientists can explore the caterpillar and the butterfly, but they can't see inside the chrysalis because if you even open up that chrysalis just a little bit, it will kill the potential butterfly or the butterfly will fall out with the goo all over it or half butterfly, half goo, and it will die. Even when the butterfly comes out of that chrysalis, it doesn't live much longer. So she always says, we're always kind of in that chrysalis, right? We're always kind of digesting ourselves to become this beautiful butterfly. And if we don't get into that part where we digest and become goo, we never get to see that beautiful part. I never have been a huge fan of butterflies, but after hearing her kind of describe that journey about nobody knows what happens in the chrysalis, you can't break it out. You can't even see in there. Only you can really see as you digest yourself. I know that sounds kind of strange as I'm saying it, but that's what I think about life and about finding people. There are no coincidences. I'm convinced the multiverse put me here to talk to you today and... I think we're always digesting and eventually maybe we'll be that butterfly and that looks like I love myself and I'm an amazing person and I'm not tied to my trauma. I don't have any PTSD flashbacks, right? But we're always kind of in that growing growth mindset of the goo. I'll say to my friend, are you a goo today? And she's like, I'm goo today. That digesting and becoming anew is is possible.
1: That is so true. I love your friend's description of the like the caterpillar and the chrysalis and the butterfly that's really like the imagery there that's very true
0: and maybe that's a lot of yeah that might be a lot of like being in the now right being present and that's why it's a gift to be here now and not future trip and not be tied to the past
1: yeah I read something the other day that said Your future doesn't need your past's permission. Ooh. And I loved it. And I think that what you're describing as being present is just the ideal. And as a fellow future tripper, I think that's a great takeaway for me, for sure.
0: And I I almost feel like that's what our kids do, right? They keep us here in the present. That is so true. Because we don't want to push them along and have them grow up. But we also don't want to go back to that baby stage. (laughs) Or I've got a 10-year-old and a nine-month-old. So yeah, I'm in that I don't know what I want stage, right? Just to stay in the moment and feel, I know we throw our own gratitude and being blessed and just honoring where we're at.
1: Yeah. Thank you for the reminder that kids do that for us because that is very true.
0: I'm reminding myself too, right? Constant
1: reminders. So where can folks connect with you?
0: So we have a website and that's at www.theyarnconsoleryllc.com. I am at LLC on Insta and I am Dana White-Guerreri on Facebook. And we do have a yarn consolery page there. I'm always available. I'm up at all hours with the kids all the time. So, And I've got people all over the world that I'm working with at any point. So we like to call that sober outreach. And they say, well, are you, aren't you just texting with a friend? We're doing sober outreach. So yeah, I can be contacted anytime. Always love to have a chat. That's kind of Like with you, I I could chat with you all day long here. I know we've got a time constraint, but that's kind of what we do at the Consolary is we just have a nice chat and see what we need to do next. Co-create.
1: I love that you say co-create. I say that too. And a lot of the reason I say that is from my social work years of we create this plan together because I have a lot of insight and wisdom and knowledge, but. The people that I'm working with are the expert of their experience and their needs. So I love, I love the co-creation portion.
0: I learned a lot of, I, I got, I should say not learned, but I became more comfortable with that as I worked at the crisis center when we rolled out the 988 initiative for the suicide, the suicide code. And, and they really said, hey, you don't come in here. Telling people what they need to do, you don't come in here giving advice. You're building a plan with someone on how they want to live their life, and you're not the expert. But, and I said, "Oh, what, what? about I am? I'm so I'm so brilliant. Look at these. Look at these degrees on the wall. Don't they tell you?" And they said, "No, that's you're not a fixer." And I think that's kind of where crisis intervention kind of rolls over to parenting. You're not the expert. They know what they need and what's best for them. They drop into their body and tell you, this is how we're going to be, which was hard for me. And I think hard for maybe, I don't want to do another broad brushstroke, but just for maybe for my generation, because that's what we were told. We are our CV. We are how we look on paper. And that makes us the expert. But when people reach out for a hand, they're not looking for an expert or they may not even know what they need. How do I know what they need? So that's where I'm trying to go in the future. Of course, we, I still have a lot to learn. So that's really, right? That's the people we work with. They teach us maybe more than we can teach them. Absolutely. I don't like to give advice.
1: It's a lot of responsibility.
0: Well, what kind of attachment do we have to it when we do? I'm going to give you advice. You don't take it. I'm resentful. Well, we know what happens there. Then that just unbroils a whole pot of stew, as they say.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. I think you're amazing and you do great work. And I've heard a lot about you on the grapevine and it's all true now that I've been able to meet you. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Living My Breathless Life. Head over
1: to Instagram and follow According to HPG to stay connected to the show. Go get your mammograms.